the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. So he just starts walking. Now, I, I just think this is marvelous because, you know, sometimes we think that God is going to just suddenly speak to us in a supernatural way. And I believe in the supernatural ways of God. But I also know that God often just works in natural ways. And sometimes we're always looking for what is the supernatural sign. Hey, just start walking. If you're on the wrong path, God will show up and tell you otherwise. You know, just start acting on Do as much as you know until God shows you otherwise. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews. Often the best thing you can do is just keep heading in the direction that you believe God has sent you in. Many make the mistake of waiting for God to show up in big and miraculous ways before moving forward with their lives. But the truth is, God more than often won't appear in one giant burst. Pastor Gary teaches you today that through prayer and studying of God's Word, you are provided with the tools you need to make godly decisions. By consistently dedicating time to these things, you'll have prepared yourself to go the direction God intended. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Hebrews chapter 11 is one of the more familiar chapters, uh, not just in Hebrews, but perhaps in all of the Bible. It has been affectionately called the Hebrew Hall of Faith because Hebrews 11 documents, lists by name, 17 people, and then others who are uh, referenced but not by name, who were just men and women who demonstrated exemplary faith. And uh, two weeks ago, as we started into this chapter, we talked about how there's a distinction between different types of faith in the Bible. There's a difference between, for example, saving faith, that's Hebrews 2, 8, which talks about how it is by grace through faith are we saved, and this not of ourselves, the gift of God, lest any man should boast. It's not of works. Nothing we do can earn salvation. So the entry point into God's family is exercising faith in Jesus that you might be born again, that you might be saved. And so that, that salvation comes through faith. You're trusting in what Christ did for you on the cross. None of us was there. We're believing by faith that what he did 
was sufficient for the sins of the world. As many as believed in him, to them that received him, he gave the right to become children of God. So that's saving faith. And then there's another type of faith in the Bible, and that's the gift of faith. We talked about this last week also. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's a series of many gifts that, that Paul lists. Uh, not a sum total of all the gifts, but a series of at least nine and, uh, and among those spiritual gifts is the gift of faith. This is, this is just an extra measure of trust and confidence that some people have. It's a gifting from God uh, to be able to just trust Him in often some of the most adverse situations. And so some people are given an extra measure of faith. This is different from saving faith. This is the gift of faith, to trust God like beyond all odds kind of a thing. And then lastly, there's this living by faith, and that's what Hebrews 11 is really talking about, how all of us need to trust God and have confidence in the Lord at times when we, it, life doesn't make sense, at times when we, we really can't see the end from the beginning, where we don't know how things are going to work out, we're just going to trust God. Faith is basically trust and confidence in the promises and faithfulness of God. And in Hebrews 11, many people are listed here as just great examples to us. And I'm going to be going through this chapter last week, and, or two weeks ago, and tonight, and maybe at least another week following, going name by name, because I want us to be encouraged in our faith. There's a reason why they're listed in here by name, because we should know a little bit of their stories. And if you know a little bit of their stories, you're going to be encouraged in your own Christian walk, because you're going to be inspired by their faith. That's the intent behind chapter 11. It's like the writer of Hebrews is listing out all these people here and, and said, look at their examples and, and look at how they trusted God and, and that we might be encouraged through their testimony. So we're going to be going through these uh, name by name. But also we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that faith involves seeing what is unseen. There are eight times that some aspect of vision or sight is mentioned in regards to faith, which is, which is not unlike all of faith in general, all of Christianity, because Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 4.18 that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. He says, because that which is seen is temporary, but that which is unseen is eternal. In other words, that even as it regards our, our faith in Christ, you know, we don't see God our faith is based on what is unseen. You know, we, we believe that heaven exists. We believe that God exists. We believe that he created the heavens and the earth by his spoken word. That's how Hebrews 11 begins, because that's the entry point. If, you, if you're going to believe anything about God, it starts with the idea that he's creator of the universe. And so all of this really is about believing what we cannot see, trusting and putting our confidence in a God that is not visible to us. Uh, you know, one day... Uh, we, we will see him face to face, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13. We, we shall know him fully even as we are fully known. Uh, but until that day that we stand before him, our faith is something that rests not on what is seen or tangible, but it rests on what is unseen, what is intangible. Because that which is seen is temporary. All this is temporary. Everything is temporary. I was, I was having a Bible study with a guy yesterday. We were in Second Peter. It talks about how, you know, all the present earth, present heavens are going to be completely destroyed by fire. You know, you talk about global warming. There's going to be a serious day of global warming when all of this is going to be just completely obliterated. There's a new heaven and a new earth. And so we shall be with the Lord forever. In the meantime, 
We trust the Lord. That's faith. We have confidence in him, and we don't put our faith and trust in the tangible. We, we trust in what is unseen, because what is unseen is eternal. And then, and then lastly, we talked about just kind of setting the stage for the topic of faith, is that faith is an action. It's not just a, it's not just a feeling. It's, just, it's not just something you think about or feel. It, there's action behind this, and I pointed out from the list just a couple of examples how it says here that Abel offered and Noah built and Abraham went. These are, these are verbs. That this is faith in action, and so uh, should we be putting our faith into action. This is not sitting around and hoping that God will do something. He, he actually wants us to act uh, in faith, in trusting Him, and in uh, believing in His promises. So, uh, so then we talked, we got through the first uh, three examples of people that are commended here in chapter 11 as being people of faith. We talked about Abel, Enoch, and Noah. And then we left off here at verse 8, and so we're going to be now talking about Abraham. And Abraham gets a lot of press coverage here in chapter 11, so uh, there are several uh, verses about him. So Hebrews 11, starting at verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. Isaac is his son and Jacob his grandson, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, uh, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Okay, so we'll pause there. That's all that's written about Abraham, which is a lot. Uh, he gets uh, more verses than anybody else in this chapter, and, and, and for good reason, because Abraham is considered the father of the faith. Uh, he's considered the father of the faith for Christians. He's considered the father of the faith for Jews, and, and quite honestly, just factually speaking, Muslims consider him the father of their faith. Um, and Abraham is someone who... Um, was an unsuspecting heathen Gentile worshiping false gods in a, a, a town called Ur, U-R, in, in ancient Mesopotamia, which is in modern Iraq. And so just to kind of give perspective, I, I do this if for no other reason than for myself, because I'm, I'm kind of like this. I need to visually see where things are. So if it's helpful for you, great. If, it, if not, it's just for me. But um, so here, here's where Abraham starts out here in Ur, uh, uh, down by the Persian Gulf. 
Yeah, Ur is about 150 miles southeast of, of the ancient city of Babylon. And, and God appears to him in Ur. And, and, and now again, Abraham, like everybody else, is a pagan Gentile at this time. There are no Jews. There is no Jewish race. There are no Jewish people. Abraham will become the first Jew, and out of his seed will, become the Jewish, will come the Jewish race. But up until this point, he's just this heathen pagan guy worshiping false gods in Ur of, of the ancient territory of the Chaldees or Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia means the land between the two rivers. And so you have the Euphrates and you have the Tigris. That's this area. It's ancient Babylonia. And so here he is just doing what a pagan does, unsuspecting, not having any relationship with God, and God appears to him. And God calls him out of where he's living in Genesis chapter 12. And he says, I want you to go to a place that you've never been. I want you to go to the land of Canaan. Now, God didn't tell him where, where that was. And God didn't give him any directions. And he's a man, so he's not going to ask for them anyway. And, and so he just starts walking. Now, he's supposed to go from here to here. This is the land of Canaan. This is, this is Israel. Okay, Canaan is the ancient name for Israel because it was the land of the Canaanites. The Canaanites lived there. And so God says, this is where I want you to go. Now, he's not going to make a, you know, a direct line through the Arabian desert over to uh, the land of Canaan. He just starts walking. And I have to imagine that because God didn't tell him where to go, he didn't know where to go. He just starts moving. He's going to just do what is natural. And what is natural in that day is you're going to follow the trade routes. And he just starts walking up the Euphrates River. So he just starts walking. Now, I I just think this is marvelous because, you know, sometimes we think that God is going to just suddenly speak to us in a supernatural way. And I believe in the supernatural ways of God. But I also know that God often just works in natural ways. And sometimes we're always looking for what is the supernatural sign? Hey, just start walking. If you're on the wrong path, God will show up and tell you otherwise. You know, just start acting on something. Do as much as you know until God shows you otherwise. Now, there's a little glitch in Abraham's walk of faith. Because the Bible tells us that as he starts walking up the Euphrates, he comes to this town of Haran. And he parks it here. He's like, I don't really know where else to go. I'm just going to sit here in Haran. Not for a day or a week or a month. 25 years. He sits in Haran for 25 years. He's like, I don't know if this is Canaan or not. I'm just going to sit here because I'm not really sure where I'm supposed to go. His dad dies. And when his dad dies, it it appears in Scripture that God again reiterates his calling to Abraham. He says, I want you to keep walking on to Canaan. And so what, what he does is he takes from Haran the ancient trade route, which was basically the Damascus road that cut through Damascus, Syria, and kept walking until he got to Canaan. And then God said, you're here. You're here now. You can stop walking. And that's how it worked out. Now, what I love about the fact that Abraham is mentioned here in the Hebrew Hall of Faith, among many reasons, is that even though in this faith uh, exercise where Abraham's like, okay, I'm going to start walking, even though he ends up in Haran for 25 years, there's no, we know that from the Genesis account. There's no mention of that in Hebrews 11. There's no mention of that. What God commends Abraham for is the fact that he was obedient. And though, though there was a slight pause button of 25 years where Abraham was not really being faithful to keep walking to Canaan, 
God doesn't remember that. God remembers this, where Abraham eventually got there. Don't be too worried about what the journey looks like. All right? God just wants you to get there. And God will help us along the way to accomplish his good purposes to eventually get us where he wants us to be. And the ultimate reward, of course, is heaven. But there, there were three great tests in Abraham's life. The first was this. I want you to leave everything. Now, his family goes with him. But I want you to leave your familiar surroundings. I want you to leave your culture. You know, you know how far he goes in total? 1,400 miles on foot. I mean, may, maybe on, you know, some animal, but... We have no, you know, record of how we actually got there. But, I mean, this is ancient. This is, you know, we're talking 2000 B.C., all right? No Uber, all right? So it's, it's about 800 miles from Ur to Haran and about another 600 miles from Haran to, to Canaan. So he's, he's going 1,400 miles to a place he's never been, and he has no idea where he's going. He's just faithful. He's just faithful to trust God. And you got to love that about this guy. So that was one of the major tests. The second major test we're going to see here also in a moment is in his old age, he's going to trust God for a child. And then thirdly, he's going to trust God when God says, I want you to give up that child that you have always been wanting. So he, he has three main tests in his life. And the first one here is that he just, he just obeys God. And, he, and, and look again in your Bibles there, verse, verse 8. Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. But by faith he made his home in the promised land. Now notice this, like a stranger in a foreign country. It's one Greek word in the original language, paroikos. And paroikos literally translates a resident alien. He's just, he's just a, a sojourner. And, he, and, he, and it says he lived in tents. And then it adds, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. But there's this commentary here about the fact Abraham lived in tents. Why? Because he knew that this world was not his permanent home. And it's this picture of a man who was not too attached to this life, that he had one eye on the promise of heaven. Because, see, that's the next verse, verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Now, some commentaries say, well, that means he was looking forward to the permanent city of Jerusalem. But I would disagree because the, biggest, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And if you just glance over a further, we read it, uh, go ahead to verse... Um, uh, well, 13, I'll just read 13 through 16 again. Verse 13 says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Okay, same idea, sojourners. You know, we're living in tents. We don't, we don't really belong here. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, what? A heavenly one a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
Okay, obviously in that context there in verse 16, he's talking about heaven as the ultimate city. So when, when you compare that with what you read back here in verse 10, I think it makes more sense that, they, that what he was looking for and the reason he was living in tents was because he was not getting too comfortable in this world. He saw his life as just passing through. He's an alien and a stranger here that his ultimate reward and his ultimate home is in heaven. And this is important for all of us to recognize too. Peter, the Apostle Peter, when he starts his first epistle, 1 Peter 1, verse 1, he addresses his letter to God's elect strangers in this world. We are strangers in this world. We are not to get too attached to life here because our citizenship is in heaven. So we are to live out our lives as good citizens while we're still on the planet, but always mindful that our real citizenship is in heaven. So we, we keep one eye on life here, and we keep one eye on life that is to come. This is the way that Abraham lived. And this is why he's being commended here as a man of faith. But then also, the second great test is that he had to trust God to have a child even though he was old. Now, old is relative, so let me clarify. When God first calls him, when he's living in Ur, he's 75 years old and his wife is 65. But if he spends another 25 years in Haran, come on, you're a sharp bunch of people. How old is he now? He's 100. And Sarah's 90. So when he gets to the land of Canaan, that's how old he is. He's 100 and he, and he is, uh, and, and Sarah is 90. And halfway in between, when he's 85 and she's 75, and the plan for a child has not yet transpired, okay, 10 years into this, God's promised. God said to them in Genesis chapter 12 that your, your descendants, well, I'll just read it to you, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the sand and, and the stars. And so um, God promises him in Genesis chapter 12, I'll just read it to you. And he says, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And, and so he goes, and, and God promises him descendants as numerous as the sand, and, and yet he's 85 now, and nothing's happening. So Sarah comes up with this idea. Many of you know the story. Why don't you just, maybe God's promise will be fulfilled through my maidservant Hagar. Abraham sleeps with Hagar, has a baby named Ishmael. That's not God's plan. God's plan is Isaac, but he won't come for another 15 years. And so Abraham has to wait longer. Why? Because God wants Abraham to get to the place where his body physically is as good as dead, so that when he and Sarah, likewise, her body good as dead at 90, when they conceive, they will know this is from the Lord. Okay? This is no chance that you all were able to do this. This is from the Lord. And, and so they have to wait. They have to wait, but it's 25 years until this promise is fulfilled. And so he has to trust the Lord. This is verse 11. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father 
because he considered him faithful, considered God faithful. You made the promise, you told me. And so it says in verse 12, and so from this one man, and he is good as dead, meaning just his body physically at a hundred, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this edition in Hebrews again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary's Bible teachings, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd encourage you to subscribe to our podcast so you're able to keep up to date with every new program we post as soon as we make it available. You can even download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go, in every circumstance you find yourself in. All this is found at our website. Again, that address is cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd love to know how God is leading you and changing your heart. Or is there anything God's doing that deserves some rejoicing? Please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners and we feel honored to be able to pray for your requests. Give us a call at 703-771-1500. We'd be happy to do our best to answer your questions and tell you more about this ministry, along with the church it stems from, Cornerstone Chapel. So don't hesitate to call. That number again is 703-771-1500. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not a Call